0: Welcome to the Life Church St. Peter's message of the week. We hope you're encouraged by today's message and encounter God's heart through it. To find out more about us, visit lifechurchstpeters.com. Hi, my name's Tom Kyle. <laughs> Good morning. Do want to welcome you here to Life Church? My beautiful wife, Randy, and I have the privilege and pleasure of serving here and being with this amazing group of people. Three weeks ago, I spoke out of Isaiah 58, and I just wanted to take a few weeks on uh, the topic of finding God's heart through prayer, uh, through fasting, searching God's heart. I want to continue on with that this morning. Isaiah 58 was a chapter that I touched on, and it's, and it's all about seeking God's heart um, and having a soft heart. We, Randy and I were talking yesterday. We were in Columbia visiting uh, some dear friends there, and we, we came up to an exit, made a left turn. We stopped at a lot of exits because we had had coffee that morning. So it was one of the exits we stopped at. And, and you, I know everybody that has a car and you're mobile, you will be able to relate to this there was some people standing on the street corner with a sign, you know, please help. And, you know, and, and I, I, it always challenges my heart. Always challenges my heart. I look at it and, and I just, you know, if you want to be judgmental, that is a great spot to be judgmental (laughs) an awesome spot to be judgmental because all these things are running through my mind. Uh, you know, is this, is it legitimate? Is this guy make more money than I do? You know, I, and it's just, it's just horrible. But it, for me, it's a wonderful opportunity to check my heart. It's so easy to be critical, so easy to be judgmental. And I'm, I'm not judgmental. I just see them and choose to have an opinion. Nothing to do with judgmental. And three weeks ago, Isaiah 58, and just looking through it, is, it's talking to God's people about having a soft heart. I don't wanna be cynical as a human being. I don't wanna be critical, judgmental as a human being. I do wanna be wise. I do wanna be discerning. But I wanna have a soft heart. And one of the ways, it was we talked about three weeks ago, one of the ways is the beauty of the Word of God. It shows me what's really happening on the inside. And in this body, this church family, we value the Word of God. And another way that the Bible talks about is through prayer and fasting. It's a way of humbling myself so that I'm not arrogant, full of myself, condemning, looking at other people and drawing conclusions. And I have no idea what's happening on the inside of people. No idea. But when I get into the presence of God, it helps me see me from his perspective. I don't have to... Uh, compare myself to Guy or Don or Julie. That's not my comparison. My comparison is how am I doing compared to heaven? And what does God want me to step into? And it's one of the beautiful uh, things that come out of seeking God's heart is prayer and fasting. Again, it's not one of those uh, topics. Every Oh, can I fast? When are you fasting? I love to fast. I don't know many people like that. I don't know any people like that. But Jesus in the in the New Testament, he doesn't say if, he says when. Yeah. Yes. That's good. When you fast, not if. And it's one of those spiritual disciplines that it keeps me soft potentially in my heart. And this morning I want to look at a, a book in the Older Testament called the Book of Esther. It is one of the my favorite books in the Bible. Um, It's a funny book, it's a different book, in that it's one of the only two books of the Bible where God is never mentioned. And you think, really? Yeah, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, the book of Esther, God is never mentioned. And yet in it, you see the beauty of heaven. You can see the beauty of the gospel. It's full of imagery, symbolism, types and shadows. And I'm not going to go into all of those this morning in the book of Esther, but I do want to highlighted this morning that we could see what God wants to do through you through me through an individual that can actually by being willing by being soft heart save a nation. Yeah. And in the book of Esther there's basically two people, two heroes in this book. There's a gentleman named Mordecai and he is Jewish. He's an Israelite. And there is a lovely, beautiful young woman named Esther, who is also Jewish. And Esther is an orphan. Her mom and dad have died. And these are actually really dark times for the nation of Israel. They have been disobedient, and they've been carried off into captivity, and they've been dispersed amongst a nation that is not a God-fearing nation. These are bad times in the nation of Israel. It's a time of slavery, of imprisonment. They're not able to do what they want to do. And because Esther was an orphan, her cousin, an older cousin named Mordecai, took her under his wings. And Mordecai basically raised Esther, even though they're cousins. He was kind of like a stepfather or a stepdad. And he's mentoring Esther in life. And as we step into chapter 1, I'm, I'm just going to try and encapsulate or just, you know, give a briefs on it rather than reading all chapters, which would we'd be here till well, say, 3 this afternoon. So if you're about to pack lunch, you know, you can stay for the extra bit. In chapter 1, they are in the, these people, the Jews dispersed amongst nations, are under a regime called the Persian, the Persian Empire. And the Persian Empire is scattered throughout the known world. They're basically in charge from India to Ethiopia over in Africa. Massive kingdom. And the Jews are just dispersed amongst them. A nobody. They're not um, appreciated. They're looked down on. They're just Jewish people to do menial tasks, to do things. But they have no prominence. They have no voice in the nation of Persia. And there is a king, and I'm going to use the NIV this morning as far as the translation, There's a king called King Xerxes, X-E-R-X-E-S. And he's not a Christian, he's not a Jew, of course he's not a Christian, he's not a Jew. (laughs) That was later on. He's not a believer in God. He's not uh, a kind, humble king that's sensitive to the Jewish people. He's a king, he's all-powerful, and he is greatly feared and greatly revered in Persia. And the Jews, some Jews, Mordecai, our hero and Esther, our hero, find themselves in the capital city with King Xerxes. And chapter one opens up with a, a grand bar, a party, a ball, a gala, if you will. And everybody's in high spirits, they're giving out stuff. It's a cool time, amazing time. And there's King Xerxes, who I can't say he, would be the epitome of what you would want as a husband or a father, a role model. In the midst of this, he decides he wants his queen to come out and parade in front of everybody so everybody can see how beautiful she is. So it's kind of like a catwalk. Come out and, you know, see how gorgeous my wife is, the queen. And she says, "Uh uh-uh. No, not doing it. I'm not your little prom queen to do that. I'm not doing it. And so King Xerxes, being the kind, godly man he is, says, you're out. You're done. No more Queen Vashti is her name. So afterwards he's like, Oh. Oh, that was my wife. So he just so being the great king, wise king, he decides to say, I need a new a new queen. So he does the good and noble thing. He says, Hey, let's have a like a, a beauty pageant. So what he decides, he tells all his noblemen, go and collect all the beautiful young women from anywhere you can find them, but they got to be beautiful. They got to be virgins. And I got to like them. (laughs) And so King Xerxes, being this uh, less than stellar godly man, (laughs) gets all these ladies together and he brings them into his harem. And he Tells his nobleman, okay, I want you to spruce these girls up. I want a lot of paint on the barn. No, no, that's not what I meant. I mean, he wants them to go to a beautician. That's it. Go to a beautician. And so Esther, who's just a nobody, she's an absolute nobody in the kingdom. But she's beautiful. And she's never been with a man. And so out of this Persian nation, she's one of the ladies who is selected to go into, we'll call them, beauty treatments. Twelve months. And so this Jewish girl comes into the palace and she starts doing the beauty treatments. Twelve months. That's a lot of fixing and It's a lot of paint. And the Bible says that she actually, there's just something about this girl. And she is a girl. She's not like, well, she's a girl in a younger form. Yeah, almost stepped into it again. Step back. But as soon as she steps into King Xerxes' harem with tons of other women around, she just has it. And she finds favor with the people who were looking after all these young girls, preparing them to go be with the king. She just finds favor. You know, you just, you you meet some people and they just have it. You just instantly like them. You instantly love them. You're instantly drawn to them. There can be a crowd of 50 people, but you're just drawn to that person. That was Esther. And she's just a Jewish lady. Now, Mordecai, her cousin, who's raised her, goes to her and says, look, you're, you're in the Persian palace at this point. Whatever you do, do not tell them you're Jewish. <laughs> Don't tell them you're Jewish because they're a nobody in a massive kingdom. Most all the other girls probably came from other nations that were esteemed, that were appreciated, or they were Persian themselves, but not Esther. She's a nobody from a nobody country, probably looked down upon by the Persians. So Mordecai says, whatever you do, Don't tell them you're from Peoria. (laughs) Nobody, if you're from Peoria, you're not there here, so it's good. I lived in Peoria for a short stint. It's all good. So Vashti, the queen, is deposed. She's out. The king has uh, basically a beauty pageant. And 12 months later, the women start going in And and I can't gussy this up and make it prettier. There there are some folks who say, oh, it it was just a beauty pageant. It was not a beauty pageant. All the girls went in and spent the night with the king. They were not playing Parcheesi. And out of all these girls, the king, because she has the favor of God on her life, the king falls for her. And she becomes the new queen. She is now Queen Esther, second most important person in the nation, but as you read through Esther, the king is like way, way above her. It's not like she now has equal footing with the king. He is all-powerful. His word is what goes, so much so that you couldn't even come into his presence without him requesting you. If you came into the presence of King Xerxes without him requesting you, you were killed, including the queen So it's very patriarchal, very dominant. Not exactly what we would want to see. But Queen Esther is now in a place of prominence. The king, nobody knows she's Jewish. Nobody. So we step into this place where after 12 months of treatment, she's with the king. And we're going to pick it up in Esther 2 verse 8 through 17. Esther 2. So we have a hero in Mordecai, her cousin, and Queen Esther, both of them Jewish and is scattered abroad from the nation of Israel. Esther 2, verse 8 through 17. Reading from the NIV. When the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many young women were brought to the citadel of Susa, a city, and put under the care of Hegai. Esther also was taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, he's one of the uh, noblemen who was looking after the harem, who who had charge of the harem. She, Esther, pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with the beauty treatments and special food. He assigned to her seven female attendants selected from the king's palace and moved her and her attendants into the best place in the harem. Esther had not revealed her nationality and family background, because Mordecai, her cousin, had forbidden her to do so. Every day, he walked back and forth near the courtyard of the harem to find out how Esther was and what was happening to her. Before a young woman's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the women, six months with oil of myrrh, and six with perfumes and cosmetics. My wife did the same thing. And look at her. And this is how she would go to the king. True story, kind of, not really. Hmm. Anything she wanted was given to her to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go there, and in the morning return to another part of the harem to the, uh, to the care of Shazgaz. We all know him. He's a cool guy. I think he used to play for the cardinals in the 80s. The king's eunuch, who was in charge of the concubines, she would not return to the king unless he was pleased with her and summoned her by name. When their turn came for Esther, the young woman Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king, she asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won the favor of everyone who saw her. She was taken to King Xerxes in the royal residence in the tenth month, the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. Now the king was attracted to Esther more than to any of the other women, and she won his favor and approval more than any of the other virgins. So he set a royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. So that's our backdrop. Esther spent the night with the king, now she's queen. Further on in chapter 2 of Esther, we pick it up into verse 21 and 23. During the time Mordecai, that's the cousin, kind of stepdaddy of of the queen now. During the time Mordecai was sitting at the king's gate, Bigthana and Teresh, two gangsters, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway became angry and conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. But Mordecai found out about the plot and told Queen Esther, who in turn reported it to the king, giving credit to Mordecai. And when the report was investigated and found to be true, the two officials were impaled on poles. All this this was recorded in the Book of the Annals in the presence of the king. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 3. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman. Haman is our third person in the story. We have Mordecai, we have Esther, and now we have the villain. And the villain's name is Haman. After these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hammedatha the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than that of all the other nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman. For the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai, our Israelite, but Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor. Trouble. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why do you disobey the king's command? So we'll pause for just a second there. So we have this man Haman. He's a bad guy. He's an arrogant guy. He's full of himself, but he's this, he becomes King Xerxes right-hand man. He is in a place of prominence and everybody has to bow down and honor Haman, but Mordecai, our godly, godly, godly man says, ain't doing it. Haman's powerful. Everyone has to bow down. Mordecai says, not doing it. So Haman notices it and begins hating Mordecai. And As a result of his hating, Haman also finds out that Mordecai is a Jew. He does not know Queen Esther's a Jew, but he finds out this dude, who's being disobedient, won't respect me, disrespecting me in front of everybody, he's a Jew. And Mordecai then, I'm sorry, Haman, then develops a plot. You know what? I'm going to take you out. And you know what? I despise you so much, I'm not just going to kill you, I'm going to kill all your people. I'm going to send out a proclamation that the king's going to sign to kill all the Jews throughout the empire, all of them. We're going to annihilate all the Jewish people. Does this sound familiar? There's been lots of plots to annihilate the nation of Israel. So Haman gets the king to sign a decree that on a certain day, a few months down the road, that on this certain day, everyone in the nation of Persia, in this empire, is to take up arms, take up weapons, and kill the Jews. The king doesn't know anything about Queen Esther's background, so he says, you're right, let's do that. And so the plot happens. In chapter 4, Mordecai, the Jew, finds out my civil disobedience, refusing to kneel down, is having massive consequences. Not only does Haman want to kill me, but now he wants to kill all my people. And so Mordecai sends a message to Queen Esther. And in the message, he says, Madam, dear cousin, Haman wants to kill all the Jews. You've got to do something about it. You go talk to the king. But Queen Esther understands the political regime. And she says, I can't just go to the king. Anybody who just walks into the king and wants to talk with him without being um, offered or acknowledged will be killed, including myself. I can't do it. Then we pick it up as Mordecai responds back to Queen Esther in chapter 4, verse 13 to 17. So he's asked, "Say, Queen Esther, you got to do something. She says, I can't. He's going to kill me. And then Mordecai's response back to his cousin is this. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows? Here it is. The one so many of us know, if we're familiar with the book of Esther. And who knows, lady, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go, gather together all the Jews who are in Susa, in the city, and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. So disaster is imminent. Queen Esther, first thought, maybe is, I'm the queen, nobody knows. What do you want me to do? Which is human survival. That's, that's, that's understandable. But Mordecai understands this young lady out of all this massive, from India to Ethiopia, this young lady was chosen not just because she's beautiful, the favor of God's on your life. And you've been placed in this place at this time to do something special do something special. And so in her specialness she comes up with a great plan. She asks for counsel, she goes to 13 different Christian counselors. She has books that she got, you know, off, you know, from Amazon, you know. What do you do when you're about to die? So she's reading books, she's talking to counselors. Nope. She's in trouble. And she recognizes trouble is here. She didn't even ask Mordecai what she should do. The mentor, her father figure in life. See, this woman understands something real simple. When there's trouble, I better call on God. I better not do what somebody else did in the Bible. Because that's what you do. She simply says, Mordecai, call all God's people together. Let's pray and fast. All of us. And I'm going to do it too. In the prayer time this morning at 8.30, and folks, as many of you can go, you should go. This morning we talked about divine strategies. Not great ideas, not good ideas, but God ideas. And so often in our life, Trouble is there. And we can, who is the, who is the, the, the guy who's the great guru for all Christian kids and parents back in like the 80s and 90s? Dr. Dobson. Let's go read a Dr. Dobson book and I'll try these four things on how to do with my kids. Great, read Dr. Dobson. But what did God say? What is God's strategy? What should he say you should do? Not disparaging pastors, Christian books, amazing counselors. But am I interested in what God thinks and what God says? So, and I can't, I would love to unfold the whole thing. We don't have time for it. So Esther goes into the king. Gutsy. If he doesn't accept her, she's killed on the spot. That's the way it worked. But because she had favor. Favor as she went into the king uninvited. Uh, uh, Esther was not invited. The king looked at his new queen, maybe because of Ashley, I don't know. And he says he extends his royal scepter, which means come in. And he says, I'll give you anything you want up to half my kingdom. Half my kingdom, Queen Esther. I'll give it to you. What do you want? And she says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to throw a party. There's only three people invited. King you, me. And Mr. Haman, let's throw a party. There's only three people at this party. And like most of us, parties are good. That means food, opposite of fasting. Let's do it. So after this first day of partying, the king goes to the Queen Esther and he says, all right, I offered half my kingdom up to you. What do you want? She's got a divine strategy. Me, maybe you, like I would present my request right then. It's opportunity. He's asked me, what do you want? See, Queen Esther's heard from God. She says, you know what we're going to do? I want another party just for you, almighty king. As guys, we're not that simple. Yes, we are. (laughs) So Esther, when presented with another opportunity, what do you want, ma'am? She says, I want to do it all again tomorrow. Let's do a second party, just the three of us. It's like a song, except there's two. Second day, same thing. It's opulent. It's amazing. It's incredible. What she doesn't know is that a couple nights before, King Xerxes is up, can't sleep. She doesn't know this. And King Xerxes has the history book read to him. And a couple of his attendants were reading what had happened. And there was a story told that weeks, months before, there were two of his uh, officials had a plot to kill him, assassinate him. And this man named Mordecai had stepped up, revealed the plan, and so King Xerxes' life had been saved. Esther doesn't know that this dream just happened for the king. And so, the few nights before, when King Xerxes finds out this dude named Mordecai saved his life in a failed assassination attempt, he asked, he said, "What was done for this Mordecai guy? What was done for him?" Nothing. And so the couple of days before, Mordecai had a um, uh, Haman came before the king, and the king said, "You know what? I want to honor somebody. I want to honor somebody really important. What should be done?" And so Haman thinks it's all about him. And so he says, well, you should do this. You should parade him around, give a royal robe. That's what you should do for whoever. And so the king says, go, great, go get Mordecai. He's the one. And Haman is like, I'm going to kill Haman. I'm going to kill Mordecai, not him, of all people. God has a plan. God has a strategy outside of us, above us, beyond us that we can't see. Who am I trusting? What am I trusting? So after the second banquet, the King Xerxes looks at the queen and once again says, whatever you want, ma'am, whatever you want. And then the whole thing comes out before King Xerxes. Esther looks at the king and says, all I want is for my people to be saved. Some bad man wants to kill all my people, including Mordecai. And so the king looks at Esther and he says, who is this? Oh my gosh, you can't, it's horrible. There's only three people at the party. God's strategy is amazing. She's got the culprit right there because she's listened to God. She's been praying and fasting. She knows what to do, how to do it. Not a great idea, she's got a God idea. So King Xerxes says, who is this foul individual that wants to murder your people? She says, it's that vile Haman right there. <laughs> Haman had an experience. I'm not sure what that looked like. I'm sure it wasn't pretty. So the king, Xerxes, takes Haman out, and he had, Haman had constructed this execution for Mordecai himself, and the king says, what this man had planned for this wonderful man, Mordecai, his execution, Haman gets it instead. And Haman swings. We're not going to talk about different translations in the execution style this morning, but Haman was killed on his own device that he'd set up for Mordecai. Why? Because God's involved. Because a woman, a people had decided to seek God's face. I won't, we don't have time this morning and it's not relevant to this message. But the people were saved. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a bloody story. It's a horrible, it's horrible for a lot of people died. But the bottom line is God's people were allowed to rise up and defend themselves and, and put the hurt on the Persians. So the backdrop of all this is, I just have a question or two to ask for you as we close. What time is it for you? Esther was patient. Esther didn't rush in to accuse her enemy. Esther didn't rush to fix it. Uh, Esther didn't seek to justify herself. She didn't want to explain. She simply went to God with the issue. Trouble was afoot. Where are you this morning? What time in the story is it for you? Can I just suggest that as an individual, me and you, as a church, people in St. Louis, people in our nation, so many people are distressed in our country over lots of legitimate, real things. Are we gonna have our response on Facebook? Is that the kind of response God's looking for? What does God want from me and you? And I look at our lives. I wonder if God has something he wants Randy and I to do, you to do, for such a time as this. In response, let me ask you a question. Is there there trouble in your family? Is there trouble in your family? Where are your kids? Where are your parents? Is there trouble in your family? Is there trouble in your finances? Is there trouble... And your health? Is there trouble in your marriage? If your school age is there trouble in your school? So many people I hear, and it's, it's it's God's heart. But what about the direction of our nation? So many people, whether it's rallies or this or that, is it a, is it a time for God's called us to seek His face for our nation instead of throwing rocks? Verbally, the Bible says this in Ephesians, Ephesians 6, 12, the Bible says this, and if I, if we can just hear this as a people, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against politics or people in politics. That's not our struggle, according to the Bible. Are there bad kings? Are there good kings? Are there bad politicians? Are there good politicians? Absolutely. But our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of the dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And I think we, for the rest of my life, I can go around swatting nets around me and miss the real enemy it's Satan and demonic powers. And God has called us to fight right, not against people. Esther 4.14 says this. And this is Mordecai's response to his cousin. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. Meaning, if we don't respond, God will find a people who will respond. Because he's going to do what he's going to do. Do you want to end? Do you want to participate? Am I interested in doing it his way? Because he's going to find the people who are going to do it his way. If you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But for you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And you think, well, it's just me. It's just little old me. Can you imagine what Esther felt as a Jew in a Persian empire? She's a nobody. Can you imagine what King David felt like when he was just Dave? (laughs) And he's looking after sheep, not people. Dad doesn't recognize him. His brothers despise him. He's just Dave. And he's good with a slingshot. Oh, like a lot of good that's going to do. Doesn't have a sword, doesn't have a shield. He ain't got nothing. A slingshot, come on. But it's amazing how God wants you to use the seeming nobodies. A Dave who's going to become a King David. A little teenage girl named Esther who's going to be queen of a nation and save a nation of people. What about you? What about me? Is it a health issue, a finance issue, a relation issue? A nation and my city that's gripped me. And an issue in my nation that's gripped me. Can I just encourage us? There's been a lot of different things happen that I could chronicle over the last 50 years. Things that have been done to protest. I wonder if what God wants me to do is seek his face to how to attack the enemy that is laying hold of what my heart beats for. What time is it for you, for me? What is that thing or issue in my life that demands change? I have to have change. What is it that's going to require heaven's intervention? If I'm 10 pounds overweight, guess what I can do? I can diet. I can exercise. I'm not going to do that. But that doesn't really require heaven's intervention. I can do something about that. If you have a child or a grandchild that's away from God, I guarantee you it requires heaven's intervention. Am I interested in finding out what God wants me to do with this unique special child? Because answer for Andrew is not the answer for Stephen. The answer for Jody is not the answer for Kelly. Totally different. God knows them far better than I. Am I interested in seeking his face? Having a God strategy, not just a good strategy. So here's my GBH, close with this. Can I just encourage you? I think most people in this room, you you are bothered for our nation. You're bothered for what we see in, in, in school. You're bothered by what we see in families. And even if it's, a, it's not your family, my kids are doing great, but I, I have, my heart is burdened for Billy and Bobby and Susie and Jack, Jacqueline. What do you want me to do? Here's a thought today, maybe even right now, as the Holy Spirit is right here touching your heart. Maybe it's your wife. Maybe it's your husband. There is no hope. I think Kim was talking about no hope earlier. With God, there's hope. Naturally, there may be no hope. What is it you need to break from God? His intervention. A God strategy, not a good strategy. It may have worked for him, but my wife, my husband's different. God knows them through and through. So here's the great but how. What are three things that are issues in your life that keep you up at night potentially? that cause you distraction when you're thinking? What are those three things? Just take a second. Maybe if you have an electronic device, I know we don't use paper and pen anymore, except my wife. What are three things that are just on your heart that you need heaven's help with? Just write them down real quick. One, two, three. And if it's your spouse, don't let them know you're writing their name. You know, Change the name to protect the guilty. Just write down... Three things real quick. These aren't hard. If you can't come up with three, write down two. If you can't write down two, write down one. If you can't write down one, pray for discernment. Thank you. Just real quick, this is not, don't overthink this. Just three things are on my heart. I need heaven's help. Everybody got two or three? Now pick one. Just one. Just pick one. What is that one out of those two or three? Pick one. And here's what we can do. Not going to do. Here's what we can do. Because God gives us choice. He's not an ogre. He's not like a King Xerxes who demands. He wants to partner with us. And is willing. Holy Spirit wants to partner with us. Seek his face about that one thing. It might be this. You just began praying five minutes on your way to work. It might be missing uh, Wednesday lunch. It might be turning off the TV three nights this week. Can I just say, seek the Lord during that time. Don't just miss a meal or miss three meals. I've done it. Has anybody ever fasted and you really didn't seek God's face at the same time? Mm, That's not good. I hate fasting. Make it purposeful. Make it work. And can I encourage you in your GBH, don't spend the whole time telling God what he already knows about. So many times when they're praying, all they do is, he's this, he's this, he's this. And God's like, I know. What do you want me to do? If you don't know what to pray, pray in tongues. Pray in the spirit. If you don't pray in the spirit, find somebody who does and let's just agree together and partner together. And can I say, when you're praying, confess what the Bible says about your situation about your health challenge, about your finance challenge, about the challenge at school. Pray for the nation by what God says. Pray for the president. Don't accuse and attack. Pray and bless that child of yours. Bless them and who you see them stepping into. Father, I thank you so much for your kindness and goodness. I thank you, Lord, that you seem to relish using the nobodies of life, the Josephs the Davids, the Esthers, the Ruths. You seem to just find joy in, in the unlikelies. Father, that's me. I, my whole life I felt like I was the unlikely, a Gideon. And yet, Lord, you put your hand on my life for such a time as this. I think there's a room full of powerhouses who know you, who can hear you, and do what you want. I pray, Lord, that we have discernment, that we hear your strategy, not somebody else's and not what I found in a book. But, Lord, I would hear from heaven what you want. And it has to be rooted in love. It has to be rooted in truth. It has to be rooted in grace. I'm not out to attack any human being. If it's not love oriented, it's probably not from God. Holy Spirit, help us. Help us, help us, help us to hear your voice. Lord, that we would become a people who seek your face, who call upon your name and look to heaven for help. Bless us. Bless us in Jesus' mighty name. If you're sitting there today and you're just struggling, you wrote down that one thing and you're like, oh, heaven help me. It's impossible. You are in perfect position. If it's impossible, he can do it. If you need to lose 10 pounds, you can do it. But if it's impossible, that's God's specialty. And I don't want you walking out today discouraged, thinking, Ed, we have an Ed, Uh, Billy Bob. My name is Billy Bob. Oh, if you just knew Billy Bob, he's impossible. If you want to come and have somebody pray with you, As you start looking for God's strategy, there's a prayer team. Have the prayer team come up. If you just want somebody to agree with you and just somebody to say, yes, we're going to agree for Billy Bob. God's hand is going to touch. The favor of heaven is on me. It doesn't feel like it, but I know God's favor is on me. And I'm called for such a time as this to see heaven break in and things begin to change. If it's time and God's calling you to pray for a nation, can I encourage you? Like for the Dockstater's um, conference that's coming up in October. Consider going to that three, four days and just start meeting with people who have a heart for the nation so that you can pray in faith. You can step in and be productive. So Father, thank you for this family of people. Bless us as we go. We invite you in. We ask. God's strategy not just good strategy. Help us, mighty King. Father, I thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your help, Holy Spirit. And everyone said, Amen and Amen. If you want prayer, somebody to agree with you, please come up. People would love to pray with you. Amen and Amen. Have a blessed week. Thanks for checking out the Life Church St. Peter's Message of the Week. For more podcasts and additional information, visit us at lifechurchst.peter's.com.